Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross. Hello and welcome to Fostering Hope by Foster Adopt Connect. I'm Nathan Ross. I am the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect and will be joining you every week to talk about things in the foster care system. Uh, I have the pleasure of being here today with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Can you give us a quick hello, Jennifer? Hello. And also our first speaker, Maddie. Can you give us a quick hi, Maddie? Hello. <laughs> uh, so each week we'll bring you some different stories and perspectives, and we wanted to really start this off with a, a series about what what is the life of someone in foster care. And so our series the, um, this month will be focusing on a family coming together. So we're starting with Maddie, who was in the foster care system at one point in time, and I'll let you, I'll let her tell you about her story. Uh, so follow us each week as we go on this journey and kind of learn about where Maddie came from and where she's going. So Maddie, um, can you tell us your name, your age, how old or what grade you're in, all the good stuff about you? Um, my name is Madeline Sake. Um, I'm a senior at Truman High School, and. Uh, I have 17 brothers and sisters. 17 brothers and sisters. Good God. <laughs> um, that is a lot. That's a lot of siblings. All right. Uh, so that is a very interesting point that I'm for sure going to want to come back to. Can you talk to us about some of the <clears throat> earliest memories you have prior to coming into care so that we can paint a picture of what led to you coming into a family with 17 brothers and sisters? Um, prior to coming in care, um, I was with my mom, my biological mom, um, and she was a prostitute, um, and she couldn't really afford for me to be around. So her and my dad kind of got into it, and my dad eventually won custody over me um, and rights. Um, I then went to go live with my dad, and he raised me. I was really a daddy's girl, um, and we were we were really, really close, and I never really saw my mom that much after I went to go live with my dad. So were your parents together? Were they living together prior to the separation, prior Um, to your dad getting custody? No, it was, no, my dad and my mom hooked up a couple of times and then they just went their separate ways and I kind of like popped up. Okay. Okay. So you connected to your dad. What did that look like? How did you become, you said a daddy's girl. Did he, were you going back and forth between homes? Um, I, when my dad finally got me, um, I stayed with him and growing up that, that was who I was always around. I was always around my dad and his side of the family. I was never really around my mom and my aunties on her side. Um, and me and my dad kind of got that bond, like the, you know, I was his little GI Joe and he was always there for me. He always tried the best, um, to get me to live a good, decent life. And so, Maddie, was it hard having to choose between living with your mom and living with your dad? I know you said you had a bond with your dad, but did it? How did it feel to not be around your mom all the time? 
Um, I felt safer in a way because um, okay. as I grew up, I kind of like figured out what she was doing and how that wasn't good for me. Um, my dad used to tell me that she would uh, feed me liquor and beer out of my baby bottle instead of formula or anything that I needed to grow up strong and healthy. Um, so in a way, I felt safer and I was kind of glad I wasn't with her. But in other ways, I kind of missed that I didn't have a mom. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memories of living with your mom prior to any stories or anything that did you wanted to share? Um, she would always take me to my auntie's house. Um, my auntie was one of those people that recorded like every moment in a child's life. Um, okay. So uh, there was a couple of times I watched a couple of the videos of my, my mom would just come over and we'd just be sitting on the couch and... Um, my first word was Big Bird because I loved Elmo. And okay. My mom was sitting on the couch, and I was looking out the window, and she goes, Lily, what is that? And I said, a Big Bird. And she just started crying and clapping and everything. And I think that's one of the my favorite memories of my moments with her because it was a happy moment. Okay. okay, so going back to living with your dad, what were the early years living with him like? Um. When I first started living with my dad, it was rough. Um, he didn't really have a home to, to call his own. He didn't really have a job either. So I did bounce around from, like, stepmom to stepmom um, just so we could have some place to call home. Um, so living with him, it wasn't always uh, sunshine and rainbows, but we always managed to get through it together. Um, and he did find a couple like side jobs um, to do like the car wash and stuff. And we build relationships with a lot of people in the neighborhood to help him out. And that's kind of how it was. Sounds like your father was very well liked in your community. Did he did he have a lot of friends? Was he kind of a charismatic uh, guy? Yeah, he uh, he always found ways to get around with people. Um and especially knowing my mom and, you know, the things that she did, uh, it was easy for him to kind of, like, talk to people and get to know people. And um, the people, even when I live with my mom, you know, those people still wanted the best for me. I had a lot of people that I consider, like, uncles and aunts when I live with my mom. Um, and they were, you know, they watched out for me and my dad as we went down the rocky roads. Um, so, yeah, he was very outgoing and outspoken, and he always found a way to... Uh, get the job done. So when did things start changing when you were living with your dad that some of the maybe red flags, things of concern that you can remember? Uh, By the like third or fourth stepmom, um, he started getting back into drugs and alcohol and stuff. And I kind of noticed he was going downhill he would always come home like angry or upset or something and it was just mood swings um and at the time i didn't really realize it but growing up now i can see why that was um and then when he finally got settled on my stepmom phyllis um she i noticed how she started getting a little tense around him too um he did go to joe twice while i lived with her for um possession of drugs um and money that wasn't okay um and that's when i kind of noticed that he was going backwards um but he always said he did it for me and i kind of tried to stay out of it because i didn't want anybody to get hurt so what did those mood swings look like um well it consists of 
you know, he would come in the house really, really upset. And then like an hour later when I was taking a bath or whatever, you know, he'd be really, really happy to see me. Um, and then like three minutes later, if I didn't finish my food or whatever, then he would be upset again. And like he was when he walked in the house and it was really, really scary to be around that. Cause I never knew if I was should be happy and smiling or like gloomy and hiding in the shadows or what. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and you, you mentioned that your dad went to jail a couple of times and you mm -hmm. stayed with Phyllis. Is that correct? Yep. So what was that like for you? Did you still have visits with your dad? Uh, um, but those times he was um, in jail with a bond. Um, and Phyllis okay. worked to get him out. So there was short times without okay. him. But um, I don't think Phyllis wanted me to be around him when he was there. So we didn't go visit him. You didn't visit him in jail? Mm -mm. Do you have any memories of what that was like then? Were you, uh, how you felt not being was, around him? I was really scared to say because um, I was always around my dad. I've always been with my dad. So with being without him and then being with a strange woman that we just met and, you know, she's taking good care of us. But I think that's the moment when I build, built the most um, relationship with her is when he was gone because I got to know a lot about her. She got to know a lot about me without him really, you know, having to say or giving us a script to go by. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's mostly why we st we st stood around her the longest um, was because, you know, she was always there. Like, even after he got a Joe, she was always there. Like, what do you need? Can I help you with this? Can I help you with that? And it was just really helpful to have her around as that mother figure in my life. Yeah, and you just actually brought up a question that I was thinking as you were talking about this. You said that she was like a mother figure for you. Mm -hmm. Where was your, do you know where your birth mom was while your dad was going in and out of jail? Um, yes. Um, uh, my, my auntie and uncles on my dad's side would always go visit her. She was still prostituting on 23rd and Prospect. Um, okay. and I wasn't really allowed to see her while she was out doing her job and she never really had a second thought about me. So, okay. So she wasn't involved at all while your dad was in jail? Mm -mm, not really. Okay. Did you, at any point in time while you were with Phyllis, wish that you had been able to be with her instead? Or uh, Yeah, there was a couple of times me and Phyllis would go visit my aunties and uncles on my dad's side, and um, they would take me for rides, and we'd drive past her on the corner. Um, and I would say hi, but, you know, there was never really, like, get out and have a nice conversation. How did, how did that feel for you, seeing your mom on the streets as you drove past? Um, it really inspired me to want to be more than that. Okay. Um, and it really touched, it kind of really broke my heart at the same time because, you know, I, no one ever wants to see their parents at in that stage. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think we're going to take a break here soon. So thank you so much, Maddie. When we come back, we'll hear more about Maddie's story and how she ended up at the Sakes House Again, with 17 brothers and sisters. <laughs> You're listening to Fostering Hope on KMBZ. I am Nathan Roth with Foster Adopt Connect. For more information on how you can get involved with the foster care system, please visit our website, www.fosteradopt.org, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Um, you can also reach me via email, Nathan at fosteradopt.org, or call our office number, 816 Three five zero zero two one five. We will be back with more about Maddie in just a second.
Welcome back to Fostering Hope, a show by Foster Adopt Connect. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Uh, before we went on break, we were talking ab- about Maddie's story and what led to her coming into care. And Maddie was talking about living with her biological father after um, he separated from her mom and what that was like. And so she had mentioned some times that he went to jail because of drug possession and things like that. And so really we're going to, as we continue moving forward, we're going to talk more about what changed in your family dynamic and Maddie's family dynamic that led to her coming into care. Um, so Maddie, I realized that I failed to ask your timeline uh, for the questions or for when different stories happen. So how old were you when all of this was going on? Do you know what, um, how old were you when your mom and dad separated? Um, I was around the age of one. Okay. Okay. So that, that explains why there are so few memories with your birth mom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then how old were you the first time that you remember your dad going to prison? Um, around like maybe five, five. Okay. Wow. All right. And so, and when did you come in? How old were you when you came into care? Um, I was around the age of eight. Eight. Okay. So you lived with your you lived with your dad for about six years, seven years prior to coming into care. Okay. Okay. Um so can you talk to us a little more about what that was like? You you mentioned that your dad had some mood swings and that you never knew which dad you were getting. Sometimes he was the happy dad who was loving and led to that daddy's girl, and sometimes he was the scarier dad that made you worry that you needed to be out of out of sight, out of mm-hmm. mind. Um, can you talk to m- more about when did that start shifting to more of the scary dad? Um, a lot of times it was when ever something bad wouldn't it work. Um, and we would always know because he would come home and he kind of would just keep to himself as best as he could. Um, but I, as a little kid, you know, you don't really notice that that reaction when they walk in the house. So I would always, you know, hi, Dad, and start a conversation. Mm-hmm. He would just shut me out. And as a little kid, I always thought like, oh, man, I'm in trouble again. And, you know, what did I do? I didn't kill anybody on the playground today at right. school so um and it was just you know it, it kind of took me a while to kind of notice that it kind of I kind of felt like he didn't want me there or like I wasn't needed anymore yeah and you know um I myself was in foster care I remember as a child having to navigate what mom I was getting. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely can relate to that piece. But I also, and you mentioned, you know, when things didn't go well for your dad. So I know for my mom, being a single parent, she was working three jobs. We were at home quite a bit by ourselves. Did you ever have experiences where you were left alone without your dad? Um, There's once or twice when I didn't have a mom around or someone to watch me. Um, As a little kid, we always, we always had neighbors or someone who was always checking in on me. Um, so yeah, but my dad really didn't have like a dedicated job. It was just kind of hustle and flow, like whatever he could do to make okay. money. Do you remember what types of jobs he, he did? Yeah, he worked at a, a car wash for the longest. Um, and that was the best job for him. I, I think, um, uh, he also did show, uh, sell shoes and clothes with my uncle before my uncle became a pastor. Um, and then for a little bit, he sold drugs with my mom. Okay. Do you do you remember what types of things didn't go well? You said when things would go wrong. Do you remember what types of things? Um, is it uh, when he didn't have money? Um, 
was it those types of things or was it business plans? Um, I think it was mostly when we didn't have money because it was stressing him out about how I was supposed to make it through the week or whatever. Um, and also when, especially around the time that he was kind of trying to find a new woman to go to, um, if he had a plan in sight and it didn't work, then he mm-hmm. would have to reroute um, and that didn't always work out. Um, and it would just throw him off for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Were there other children in the home when you were living with your father? Um, occasionally it was me and my big brother, Bo, but um, my brother is older than me. Uh, so around the time he started getting ready to graduate and go to college and everything, he kind of like slowly disappeared out of my life. Um, my brother Lance was around, but I don't really remember him being around that much. Um, and then I also had a couple like cousins, um, that would come around and help watch out for me while I was, you know, struggling to stay with my dad. Were you usually the youngest one in the home then? Yes, I was. I was the youngest at the time, but I also had little nieces and nephews that I would help watch. Okay. And you, you've mentioned several times now that your father had multiple women coming in and out of his um, life while you were growing up with him. And it reminded me of, again, my, my birth mom, and I knew she seemed to always struggle between how to parent and how to maintain a relationship with a boyfriend or a mm-hmm. significant other. Did you ever feel like you were fighting for your dad's attention um, between his, his women of choice? Um, did, what was that experience like for you? I, as a little kid, I never had to fight for the attention. I think the women mostly got with my dad for me. Um, you know, I was cute, little chubby thing, running around in diapers. Um, uh, there was a lot of women who did try to, you know, kind of convert his attention away from me so that they could, you know, get what they wanted from him. Um, but not a lot of times that I remember seeing that. Um, a lot of women did come in and try to take me away from him. And that okay. never ended well. Can you can you talk to me a little more about why they try to take you away from him? Uh, yeah, one woman, um, she couldn't have kids of her own, I don't think. Um, and so when she met my dad, you know, they, they hit her off. And um, there was one night I had went to go stay to her house. And my dad went somewhere. I don't know where he was, but he left for like two, three days. Um, and when he came back to get me, she wouldn't let me leave. Um, so my dad did have to go get my aunties and stuff, and they had to take me out of the house physically. Um, and the cops were involved in everything, but she did try to keep me away from my dad. Oh, my gosh. That must have been scary not seeing your dad for two or three days. And I, it, it was kind of <clears throat> cool for me because, you know, we did, like, make cupcakes and stuff. And I was little. She bought me a whole bunch of, like, toys and stuff to keep me you know, away from all the stuff that was going on. Um, but it was scary when, you know, she started threatening my dad and she hid me in the basement and everything. Like, she was really determined to keep me away from him. Do you, do you remember anything that she said while <clears throat> she wasn't giving you back? Did she say anything as to why she wanted to keep you? She said that um, as a little kid, I should not be around <coughs> the violence that I was in, involved in my life, and um, that... Uh, <clears throat> A kid of my demeanor deserves better. Um, and you, at the time, I was thinking like, "Oh, I got the best life ever." You know, yeah. my dad is still around me, and 
she said that she grew up the way that I did and she was not going to let me go back to that lifestyle. And that's what kind of started the big argument. And there was a a long, I think there was a day after that that I kind of did stay with her. Mm-hmm. But then my dad was always like, I need her back. Wow. So it sounds like she was. She thought she was trying to keep you safe, yeah. and so she was determined to do that. Yeah. That's very interesting. And you said your dad still let you visit her after yeah. that incident. It was one time after that. I think my dad was drunk or high or something, and he didn't know what he was doing. Um, but, yeah, I did go back over there once or twice, and then always went back home after that. Okay. That's very interesting. And I know, I know that we often hear stories about you know, the hard things that lead to kids coming into care. And so when we come back from break, I really want to start getting into some of those happier times. It seems like you have a lot of fond memories with your dad, so I want to explore that after we return from break. We'll be back with Fostering Hope. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We've been talking with Maddie about her experiences leading up into care. Thank you for joining us again, Maddie. Um, so right before break, we talked about some of the time you had and experiences you had with your dad. And so I wanted to know if you could just tell me about the last happy memory you have with your birth dad before coming into care. Um, it was when I was around maybe like six or seven, um, we had parent-teacher conferences um, at my school, and we were still with Phyllis. She was working, like, somewhere out of town. Um, and I remember we went, and I thought I was going to get in trouble. I was kind of like a class clown. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I got it from my dad, you know, goofy. Yeah. Um, and I got really good reports from all my teachers about um, my attitude and how I like to help others and, uh, reading was on point and everything, and I remember we went home. My dad, he bought this big, big ginormous cake, and we just sat down and ate it and watched The Lion King. And um, he was really, really proud of me. And I, I don't think I've ever seen a moment where he was more, more proud of me. Um, and I, I just, that was the moment where I was like, yeah, like we've we've had these bumpy roads, but you know, this is still my dad. Okay. Um, so yeah. Wow. Okay. That 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 sounds like a really happy memory. You were mm-hmm. able to really paint that for me. Um, so it must have then been difficult to have a situation that would lead to you coming into care. Can you talk about what was that experience? What happened? Um, we had just moved to some apartments that Phyllis owned, um, and my dad came home with another mood swing. Um, he was really upset about something, um, and I was eating, but I didn't finish my corn. And uh, he got really mad at me, and he ripped the cord out of the back of the TV um, and continued to hit me with it. Um, Phyllis tried to take him off me, but was failed at that. Um, And he beat me with the cord from the TV um, and then left the house for, like, a couple of hours. But by the time he got back, I was asleep. Um, And then the next day I went to school, and it was like, Really nice, beautiful day, like 80-some degrees, and I went to school in a turtleneck and pants. 
um, and I went to scratch my arm in, in class, um, and my teacher noticed that I had a bruise, so it was right before recess, so she kept me inside and kind of had to talk with me, talk with me about what had happened, um, and sent me to the counselor, and I, I was really, really scared to tell the counselor what had happened, because I didn't want anything to happen to my dad, I, um, kind of lied and protected him for a little bit, um, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I was really right. scared, um, and I knew I was wearing stuff to cover it up so no one would know. Um, but then she called the police, and they came over and took pictures after school, and that's kind of when I noticed that things started going downhill. They hid me from him um, for the longest, and I couldn't see him or talk to him. What What does hid you mean? Um, I was put, uh, Phyllis helped me like moved to my auntie's house. Um, and is that on your dad's side? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. On my dad's side. Okay. Um, and they all knew what was going on and they knew I couldn't, I couldn't be within a, like a hundred yards or something with, of him. Um, and so it, he tried to find me and Phyllis wouldn't tell him where I was. Um, so I was with my auntie and anytime he came over, I had to go out a back door or I had to hide in the closet or something. Um, like I, I just couldn't see him at all. Okay. And so how long were you with relatives before you came into your first foster home? Um, right after this happened, I was placed with my auntie Monica. Okay. Um, and she was, um, like the first time that I was like introduced to the system. Okay. Um, the foster care system. Yeah. I was put with her as like a relative placement. Um, and everything was going good, but then she started kind of struggling financially. Um, and so she started taking that anger out on me and she would kick me and, um, I slept on the porch a couple of times. didn't have very much food to eat. I would eat scraps from them, um, from them what they ate from dinner. Um, so I always have to wake up in the middle of the night and like find food to eat, was, which was mostly like bologna, cheese, raw hot dogs, um, stuff like that. Um, and I had a therapist and I told my therapist what was happening and uh, she proceeded to move me out of my auntie's house and put me with my first placement. So you only lived with your aunt before you came into your first foster home yeah. placement? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that, that sounds extremely overwhelming uh i know my own experience and for me we we didn't have family that we went to prior to coming in care so for you even though your aunt was hurting you and not able to take care of you what was that like being moved from your aunt's home someone that you knew to a a stranger's house it was it was really scary um because they just you know took me there dropped me off um, and the lady wasn't very nice. She had kids of her own. She favored them more than us. Okay. Um, but it was it was better than, you know, being abused. She never really laid her hands on us. So it was better that we were in a safer environment. But mm-hmm. it was kind of, it was still scary. Scary as well. Going back a little bit, were there any other relatives involved um after you came into care, but before you were placed in your first foster home, I know you had mentioned a uncle that was a a pastor. Did you say mm-hmm. were they involved in the case at all? Uh, no, they weren't. My uncle, his wife was sick, um, so we didn't. I didn't get to go with him. Um, he couldn't afford it. 
um, a couple of my other aunties wanted to, but they didn't pass their background check. Um, um, my brother wanted to, but he was in college. He wasn't old enough. Um, I think a lot of people did, but they just didn't know how to reach or whatever. Were you able to stay in contact with these people, even though you couldn't be placed with them? Yeah, uh, some of them, yes, but not really all of them. Um, and before I, when I was with my auntie, um, uh, I did go see my dad and Joe once before, but that was, that was it. It was kind of like goodbye. Mm-hmm. So, um, what did you know about what was going on with your dad while this was happening? Did they uh, talk to you about when you were going to go back home? Did any of those conversations happen? With my, when I was on my first placement, No. Your um, first foster placement? Yeah, I didn't know anything. Uh, when I was with my auntie, I thought it was because I was of what he did to me. Okay. Um, and that was really what they left me with was all I knew was it happened, and then I wasn't there anymore, and he was in jail. Um, so do you remember what you thought was going to happen then? I know sometimes kids, when they aren't given information, they make up s- scenarios for themselves about what must be going on and what's going to happen. I thought that eventually I was going to go back home, but... I didn't know that other people had planned differently. How, how long was it? How long were you in care before you realized you weren't going to go back home? Um, or did I, you go back home? I, I did not. Okay. But when I got to my second placement is when I knew that I wasn't going back home. Okay. And what, what was that experience like for you? Uh, my second placement was a really nice family. Um, they were Muslim. Uh, so it was a new change for me in my life, you know, never been around a Muslim person. Living with them was was really unique experience. Um, the lady owned a daycare, and it was in their basement, and I kind of stayed with them. Um, I kind of helped her during the day until I could get back in school um, without my dad being able to track me or find me or anything. Um, and that was a really cool experience. Um, they really cared for me. Um, they were really, um, really wanted me to be involved in their family and be a member of their family. So it, it sounds like you had a new type of safety that you might not have felt when you were with your dad. Did, did you find yourself torn between being happy in this home and still having loyalty for your birth dad? Yeah, I still had the hope that I would go back and be able to see him and have a relationship with him. Um, but also, at the same time, I was kind of looking forward to this new life that people were giving me the chance to, you know, relive and, you know, be able to be safe and have new opportunities that I could reach. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I know, like, again, for myself, when I first came into care without knowing if we were going to go back to live with my mom, I did a lot of things to push people away mm-hmm. so that I could get back home. Did you experience any of that in your first two foster homes? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of times where I would um, do stuff like stool or whatever, and I w- would lie about it, hoping that they would, you know, leave me or, you know, just leave me alone and give me back to my dad so um, it would reverse the process. But, I mean, the, they really cared, and they were not going to give up. Um, and I, it it really put me in awe, you know, that they were willing to go through all of this stuff for me just so I could be safe and yeah. feel loved. Yeah. So it, it sounds like then for the first time again in your life, you had people that they weren't 
negatively interacting with you just because you did something. You didn't have to worry about being beaten mm-hmm. or not having enough of food or um, protection just because you did something bad. Um, so that sounds like I, a big conflict between what you were used to, you know, having your dad and mm-hmm. being loyal to him, but also wanting to have this new safe environment. Um, so did you talk to your dad at all? I know you, you mentioned a little bit that you didn't see him. Were you able to have any like supervised phone calls or anything? No. Um, my caseworker changed a couple of times while I was with, um, my second placement, but they didn't really talk about him a lot. Um, and any questions I had kind of just got put off, um, like ignored kind of, um, and I never really knew what was going on, um, until my second placement kind of gave me the clue that, you know, you're staying here or you're not going back home. Okay. Wow. That sounds like you had a lot of stuff happening in your first few years. All right. Well, we'll hear more about that when we come back. Thank you for listening to Fostering Hope. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm Nathan Ross here with my co-host Jennifer Townsend. We've been talking with Maddie today about her experiences leading up to coming into foster care and then her first experiences in foster care. Uh, Maddie, before break, you mentioned that your dad was in jail while you were in your foster homes um, and that you you were under the impression that it was because of his abuse of you that he was in jail. Uh, You also mentioned that you didn't know what was going on and that no one was really telling you what was happening. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you know now was happening? Why was your dad in jail and why were you not able to go back to live with him? Um, From what I know now, um, it was because he, of a crime that he had committed against a woman um, and that he was supposed to be in jail for a couple of years. Um, So by the time he would have got out, it would have been a teenager now. Um, and no one wanted me to wait for him that long. And honestly, I'm glad they didn't because um, I kind of like having a family. So <laughs> when did you find out about the crime that he committed? Were you in those first two foster homes still, or was this a long time after? Uh, this was towards the end of my second placement that I found out about the crime. So you said it was it was in the second home, or was it in it was, your pre-adoptive placement pre-adoptive yeah. your pre-adoptive placement that you found out what happened yeah so then in the second homes you were still under the impression that the abuse led to you yes being in care um were you were you mad at your dad through all of this when you were in these two homes uh no because i thought it was because of me so i put all the blame on myself um instead of giving him responsibility um it was, it was kind of like a i snitched on my dad and i felt bad about it um but later on after i found out what it really happened the anger did start to build up the anger towards him started to build up a little bit okay and was that in your pre-adoptive home then that you started to experience that okay and so you mentioned again before break that you were in a home that sounded amazing you were stable you were able to get the attention and family atmosphere Mm -hmm. that you wanted so long and then you found out you were going to move again do you know what led to that move? I found out I had a sister. 
Oh, wow. An older or younger sister? Younger. Younger sister. Okay. Uh, so that actually is a perfect place for us to take our break. Uh, Maddie will join us in two weeks to continue her story, and we'll hear from her mother, her adoptive mother, next week as she talks about their life before coming, before Maddie came into their home. I just want to thank you again, Maddie, for being here with us today. You have been amazing, and I know how um, scary it can be to get on any show or talk to anyone about what happened in your life. So I just want to thank you so much for giving us your time and letting us hear about your your incredible life. Thank you. We'll see you again in two weeks. Wow, what an incredible young woman. It is amazing that she was able to sit up here with us and talk about such um, hard things uh, with us. Uh, so again, I'm here with Jennifer Townsend, and we wanted to just talk about our purpose for being here and what we're hoping you all get out of this. Um, the goal for us each week is to provide an an in-depth perspective of what the foster care system is like. We'll use stories we, such as Maddie's today, um, perspectives from people who have lived it as foster parents, as child welfare professionals, just to really give a good overview of this is, this is foster care. This is what adoption looks like. There are some very beautiful moments, but there are also some really hard things that we have to look at and figure out how do we do better? Where can we improve? Uh, so in, in thinking about Maddie's story, I, I heard, I know a lot of things that were very typical mm -hmm. for kids in foster care. Lots of very typical things of abuse, neglect, um, not understanding exactly what's going on and then making up your own um, reality of this must be why I, I was in care. And so I know that for both uh, me and you, Jennifer, that we come to this with not only professional experience, but personal experience as well. Um, so for me, as a foster care alumni and someone that was adopted, I was absolutely able to relate to those typical experiences, the abuse and neglect, which I will share more as we have different stories on our show, um, but also then that, that anger and the loyalty and not understanding why I wasn't going home, not understanding where I was going to go to next, um, having curveballs thrown at me. I didn't find out that I had a sibling that I didn't know about, but I definitely um, had some curveballs in realizing that I was moving to different homes. So for you, Jennifer, what what are the your professional and personal perspectives that lead to the more atypical things that were in Maddie's story. Yeah, as as much as her story sounded like so many others of children that I've worked with, um, a couple of things stood out to me. I know as a foster parent hearing that she was so in the dark about what was happening with her case and with her father and, and maybe with some of her other relatives, that really stood out to me as an atypical experience. I know um, I'm a foster parent myself and I have very young children in my home. The oldest child is um, not yet three, and yet we do have conversations with them about what's going on in an age-appropriate way. Um, another difference is, you know, usually children are still having contact with their parents. It might be supervised or it might be over the phone rather than in person, but they still are having some sort of connection because, again, the, the primary goal of foster care is to keep children safe until they can be returned to their parents, and part of that is to help the reunification process through contact. So that really stood out to me as um, kind of an atypical experience. Um, I know I also really um, couldn't help but think about her other relatives. I'm the recruitment program supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, and I know that we're going to talk more about that program down the line. But um, I kept thinking, okay, that aunt obviously could not provide um, continued stable placement, but what about all the other hundreds of relatives that might be out there? Were they contacted? I don't know. We don't know. Right. But um, um, I'd like to think that we would usually do a better job um, 
making yeah. sure that we're using all the supports we have in the already established family. Yeah, and you, you mentioned two things that I thought were very important. First, you mentioned that foster care is first and foremost about getting kids back home. And I think that that is something that I've run into a lot in my own workings is that people assume that foster people in the foster care system are all about taking kids from from happy and loving families and then trying to put them with someone that's random because they aren't doing a good job. And you were saying that that's that's not the case, actually. The- Absolutely not. We're ideally the foster parent is not only helping um, to, to keep the children safe while pursuing reunification, but in most cases they're trying to work with the biological parents to be mentors or to help that process along if it's possible in that specific case. So it's really foster care is really supposed to be meant as a community support where we're wrapping around our families who are in need and being able to provide them the support to get their kids back. Absolutely. And then if reunification isn't possible and there are people that are going to step up to the plate to adopt all the better, as long as children are ending up in safe and loving forever families. Okay. You also mentioned having the age-appropriate conversation with your three-year-olds. And so what what does that look like? I I can imagine if I'm listening to this thinking, well, how do you tell a three-year-old that their dad is a a pimp and beat their mom and is doing drugs? How does that conversation look, you know? So what what does that look like as a parent? Um, You know, it depends on the kid. We have a lot of conversations about... um, mommy and daddy and and our love for visits but that they need to live with us right now and Mm -hmm. that we're going to take care of them and we talk about what that looks like and for them that looks like you know they eat with us and they have they you know have their bedroom and just kind of getting on their level and that's different from child to child i have two kiddos that are younger than than that child that uh, we can't have as much of a conversation with them but um my my preschooler he he sees that and and he sees that we're on the same team. We're all on his team. And that's really important. Wow. Incredible. So uh, I want to just thank those listening today. And really, as we continue moving forward with Maddie's story and hearing from Heather, we look forward to providing you all more information about Foster Adopt Connect. You've been listening to Fostering Hope brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how you can help vulnerable kids in other ways, visit fosteradopt.org or follow Foster Adopt Connect on Facebook and Twitter.